For those who fish, this is the Drake cast. He was tying feathers on a hook. I'll do a hopper with a hopper dropper with a dropper hopper. The river was like a woman. It could be a disco midge, it could be a bead head. I'm your host, Elliot Adler. The spring 2018 issue of the Drake Magazine is about to hit fly shop shelves and mailboxes across the country. So, like we did a few months back for the winter issue, I figured I'd call up the man behind the Drake Magazine to see what readers should expect to find within the pages of the latest issue. Hello. Hey, Tom. Hey, Elliot. Can you hear me okay? Uh, yeah, you sound like you're kind of in the chamber, but... I am kind of in the chamber. So here we are. We'll cover what's in this issue, hear from some of the writers featured. We get to hear a dramatic reading of Miles Nolte's piece, Hog Johnson, which was in the last issue, as well as some of the responses the magazine received to our adolescent humor. And we'll end with an audio version of one of the stories I had in the magazine. Stick around. Yeah, let's jump into the meat. So uh, first of all, I know this isn't the 20th anniversary issue, but... When did the Drake start? Uh, the true 20th anniversary issue will be next issue, the summer issue, because the first issue of the magazine was June of 1998. And we just, I was going, I was planning on doing a summer and fall issue, but that first year, but since I spent all my money on the spring issue, <laughs> there never was a fall issue. There wasn't a fall issue until about 10 years later. <laughs> <laughs> But here we are, 20 years later, coming up on uh, the 20th anniversary of the magazine. That's awesome. Congrats on that, Tom. Thank you very much. Yeah, I can't believe it, actually. Well, it hasn't happened yet. Let's uh, point that out. Yeah, hey, a lot can happen over the next 90 days, you know. <laughs> so yeah, let's, let's talk about this issue of the magazine, Spring 2018. What are some of your favorite parts? Well, um, the... Uh... Coming up in like the first story that's in Scud, I wrote it's not it's just a one page thing, but it's on uh, Scorpion Atoll, which is a super cool little place that I got to go in November. And I had heard of it when I first saw film on it that uh, R.A. Biotti made on it this is four or five years ago. So we were road tripping through the West, and uh, R.A. and Mike and I are having fish tacos out in front of the shop in Victor, Idaho. Mike and R.A. are talking about logistics. Mike turns to me and goes, so Spicoli, you're coming, right? And I look at him and go, never been saltwater fly fishing before, but you're goddamn right I'm coming. Then it dawns on me that uh, this is like getting a brand new pair of skis and heading straight to the helicopter and flying to the gnarliest peak and that's never been run. Crazy. <laughs> Check that out, baby. Got me a trigger. Finally, uh, see, they're all beating my flies up, beating me up last two days. And uh, finally got my, my little, uh, Trigger fish today. This you call it my first what Mayan permit? Mayan permit, baby. It's just a, it's a really really cool uh, saltwater experience that looks and feels like you're in the Indian Ocean somewhere and you're fishing in the Gulf of Mexico. So that's uh, it's just a two page spread with a little blurb on it. A lot of people have heard about it, but a lot of people haven't seen 
um, photos and stuff or, or we're never able to book a trip there for now. So that's, um, that's just a fun saltwater piece. That's pretty accessible. And then, uh, you know, that, that whole section that the, and talking about the fact that it's been 20 years, that scuttlebutt and bugs and rod holders and, it is pretty cool. Those have all been, I mean, those were in that first issue. So the departments have stayed pretty much the same. I mean, we've added like red spread and perfect page and things like that. Have, as I personally have gotten more into saltwater and as the, the industry itself has, but to ask me about things I'm proud of. I mean, that's, that's definitely one thing that stayed pretty true to the original intent and voice and departments in the magazine. So and the rest of the uh, scud, I have a little piece in there on Shane Anderson's new film, which is it's out and touring right now, and it's I think it's with the Wild and Scenic Film Festival, and it's on the the Eel River. If the Indians had a word for paradise, that's what they would have used to describe this part of uh, northwestern California. It's an incredibly diverse watershed. This is the third largest river system in California. However, it is the largest system with a full wild run of Chinook and steelhead. The eel has one of the best chances to restore Pacific salmon populations in the entire West. Our rivers are the arteries of the earth, forming a heartbeat sustains the continuance of life. Located in a remote and rugged part of Northern California runs the mighty Eel River, one of America's greatest hidden treasures. My name is Shane Anderson. I'm a fisherman turned filmmaker who found hope and inspiration on the Eel over a decade ago. What I found was a recovering, forgotten river where wild salmon and steelhead were returning in numbers I'd never seen on any Pacific River in my lifetime. The salmon are the heroes of the eel that bring the river to life as they swim under some of the largest redwood trees left on Earth. They have weathered decades of abusive logging, overharvest, catastrophic floods, and a dam that was built without fish passage to divert water out of basin. But now, the river and the fish may have met their biggest challenge yet. It's true. The eel's totally dry. History was repeating itself as humans were taking more than the river could handle. Decades of recovery were set back from the combination of a changing climate, a mega drought, and two multi-billion dollar industries of weed and wine. The real purpose of those dams and the tunnel has always been to take water from the eel, not for energy production, but to irrigate. It's called the River's Last Chance, and it's uh, it's just really well done. And you you could you know replace the Eel River with the name of just about any of the major watersheds on the West Coast, and it faces a lot of the same same history. But there's there's hopeful news at the end. I mean, a lot of those steelhead came back, so that's a film that if anybody's interested in checking out, that they they should. I think it's really, really well done. And then uh, what else? Like eco-wise, Soda Butte. Soda Butte is a really cool 
Creek up in Yellowstone, it, it actually flows into the Lamar and the Lamar flows into the Yellowstone. But in the Yellowstone <clears throat> National Park, it was really, really uh, messed up in the 60s and 70s from my, um, even before that, actually. And, and it just became uh, the first river that removed from uh, Montana's list of rivers that needed to be cleaned up from mining waste. It got that clean that they were able to remove it from the list. And I mean, that's the first time that it's ever happened. Um, so that's a really cool story. A lot of people that have fished Yellowstone have fished it down low. And there was also brook trout in there, um, which I personally didn't mind, but that's one of the things that, you know, it's non-native. And so they, uh, they've also removed all of the uh, brook trout from it. And again, since that Lamar Valley, which some people know just because that's where they reintroduced the wolves and stuff in the mid nineties, but it's uh it's just a really cool. It's, it's nice to know. That's another one that the headwaters have been cleaned up, but there's a little story on that in there. I was down there on the Weber river and in, in Utah. It's not really just on the Weber. It's um, a story about, you know, Utah just wasn't really on the top two or three or even four probably Western states that fly fishermen listed as a destination. I mean, it's always been about Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, Idaho. Um, but Utah has, has more than you think. And it, the state has taken so much shit from its politics over the past couple of years and deservedly so, but uh, you know, back in the mid late nineties, everybody knew about, the Green River below Flaming Gorge, and that was really like the only real fly fishing destination in Utah, traditional tailwater that people knew about. And then um, in the mid '90s, I guess, is when they finished it. But there was a the Provo River, which is just kind of just east of of Park City and some of the ski areas there. That also became really popular and has stayed popular. But I don't know that. I think that just brought a lot more fly fishermen to the state that were maybe visiting Park City or something like that and a couple of those shops up there. And, and then that just got a lot of other people looking at the rest of the state. And you have Ogden and you have a number of rivers. There's fish in all of them. Um, and they also just two or three years ago started this cut slam program, um, which uh, I don't know. I've always kind of thought it was dorky going out and having some checklist, you know, trout. But it's pretty cool. I mean, especially like Utah's got a couple of the four, one of them's Bear, Bear River Cut, and there, there's very few of them. It's not easy to go out and do it. Um, but it just gives, rather than just go out there and fishing, it's kind of like, you know, that big year thing that we've been doing all year. I mean, it's just, you go out and you, if you catch all four of these cut there, then you get a little certificate from the state and stuff like that. And so, anyway, just uh, just something about the little news about the state of Utah that, and make people think about that or at least consider it as a as a fly fishing destination because it's better than a lot of people think, especially if you go this time of year and you can also ski and you can do a skiing, fishing too for there pretty easily. So that's kind of like the front of the book sort of stuff, I guess. Nice. Um, but one thing we did breeze past is the letters to the editor section. And can you tell me a little bit about... <laughs> what piece these letters are about and what the kind of debate is? Uh, well, the piece is on something Miles wrote that was meant to be humorous, and some people that aren't that familiar with the Drake did not get at all that it was supposed to be humorous. 
So to let you listeners know what we're talking about, we've recorded a dramatic reenactment of the aforementioned piece. Instead of dick pics, I send my girlfriend pictures of myself, naked, holding fish over my junk. Sometimes they're full body shots. Other times they're close-ups of just the fish covering my franken beans with a halo of manicured pubic hair surrounding it. Hashtag hottie. Hashtag insta-wizard. And in fairness, like, I caused some of the problems myself just by putting it on the roof line of the magazine, which is the top line on the cover. So, I mean, that one thing for sure, if nothing else, as a, as a test study, those, those roof line things definitely work. Because more than a few people emailed me because they picked it up and turned straight to page 34 because it says romance and fly fishing. And all it is is a onion-type story on fly fishing and Instagram. I often wear a hat, shades, and a buff. And my feet are usually buried in the water or muck or sand. But the rest of me is bare-assed with a gasping brown hog dangling in front of my manhood. A black or yellow sex dungeon hanging from its kite. Sometimes I hold the fish with one hand and throw up some horns with the other. One time, with a carp, I turned the fish around so its big rubbery lips were facing me, and I rolled my eyes back in my head like it was feeling really good. This other time, I caught a legit 10-pound rainbow and I T-boat it, only I held the fish in front of my crotch. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag Hog Johnson. Hashtag pray for lunkers. I mean, the, the people all made really good points about how obnoxious the guy was who wrote it, and what a jerk he was, and how could you say that? Also, just to key you listeners in on what the letters to the editor were, we've recorded those for you as well. Here's the first. Instead of dick pics, I send my girlfriend pictures of myself, naked, holding fish over my junk. The first line of an article should get the attention of the reader, which Mr. Nolte achieved. But that was his only positive achievement. There are so many adjectives to describe the article Romance and Fly Fishing in the Winter 2017 issue. None of them are positive. This has to be the most distasteful, self-indulging article published in a respectable magazine. The number of sexual innuendos scattered throughout the article makes me question what type of pervert would write such a thing. Is this the type of image Drake magazine and the author are trying to convey to subscribers, the general public, or the younger kids getting started in fly fishing? What is wrong with a kid holding a bluegill with his middle-aged D-bag dad proudly sharing that moment as his profile picture? I demur. The only D-bag is the author. Is the fish just one of your props? Instead of treating the fish and the sport with respect, you're more interested in getting that perfect picture so you can make yourself look good. There's the definition of selfish. You're subjecting the fish to unwarranted stress and through your article, saying it is alright to keep the fish out of the water for a few minutes and drop it a few times because the shot will be totally worth it. This article is more suited for the trashy tabloids than this magazine. How many people at the magazine signed off on this before it went to print? If this is what the leadership at the Drake considers appropriate and worthy of print, then I question whether to continue to subscribe to such repulsive and immature garbage. What they missed was that that was the whole point. <laughs> was that we were making fun of those types of people. I got pretty good with the timer function on my iPhone, but I wanted higher res shots, so I checked out some of the photo forums, and everyone who's a badass like me is shooting cannon, so I bought an EOS. Now I carry a tripod and a bunch of lenses when I go fishing. Sometimes framing the photo takes a few minutes, and I usually drop the fish a few times before I get the right shot, but it's totally worth it. The pics are freaking epic, and I always let the fish go afterwards. 
Hashtag respect the resource, bro. Hashtag catch and release. Hashtag keep it kind of wet for a little while. Uh, a lot of people did get it as well, but a couple of people were quite upset that we would run the run <laughs> run that story. I mean, I, I just it's a good lesson for me because to me it's just like totally obvious. But this has happened, Elliot, for 20 years. I mean, it has happened when I mean, it, it probably 2009, 2010. We did a story on how the Drake was going only online and it was this big picture of Drake HQ and I went in and told everyone that from now on everyone would be called users and not readers. I mean I thought it was so over the top and we got you would not believe the number of letters we got. Can't believe that Drake's going online. It's bullshit. I mean people were so bad. and I was just like, did you even read I mean some people only read like the headline. That's it. But it's kind of funny because it is it's like a something of a national issue because fake news, onion type, such a funny thing. And now it's like a national debate. Like there was so much of it put out like before the election stuff that clearly many, many people cannot differentiate between <laughs> a story that is meant as a joke and a story. So now you're seeing a lot more magazines like the New Yorker that has something in every issue label it as satire and the Drake is going to have to do the same apparently <laughs> I also bought Lightbox and Photoshop because sometimes even the fat hogs I slay can't totally cover up the goods there's a lot to hide down there if you know what I mean so I do some fine tuning to erase what looks like used chewing gum or a flap of elbow skin while I'm at it I make sure the shadows around my pecs and abs are on point Hashtag stay healthy, people. Hashtag no filter. Because one of the guys says in the letter, I know you're not going to run this. I'm like, I'm, I'm definitely going to run this. I'll run every word of it for sure. And here's the second letter to the editor. I have read your magazine for years and have enjoyed it very much, as it is usually a top-tier fly fishing publication. Your magazine has a bit of an edgy attitude, which I kind of appreciate, normally. But the article in the winter 2017 issue, hashtag Hog Johnson by Miles Nolte, is a shame and disgrace to any person, much less anyone who fly fishes. It is quite beneath your standards, or it should be, anyway. The editor who allowed this nonsensical article to go forward should be held accountable. This article belongs on the back page of a porn magazine, not in a top-notch fly fishing publication. I had given my 80-year-old father this issue before I had even turned a page in it, thinking, as he is a lifelong fisherman, that he would love it, you know, for the articles on fishing. After he read it for a while, he put it down. I said to him, nice magazine, the Drake, huh, Dad? His reply, wow, son, that magazine is pretty raunchy. Then he described the article as I got a huge lump in my throat. Dad, I'm so sorry. If I would have known, I would have never handed it to you. Now, my dad is no prude. He is a retired Air Force lieutenant colonel who did his fair share of flying in Vietnam in his younger days. Not only is he a decorated pilot, he's a perfect gentleman. This kind of pandering is abhorrent and sadly reflects the permissive culture that we find ourselves in. Fly fishing should be an escape from the slimy underbottom of this world. But in this case, you jump down there with both feet. You can be assured that it will be a long time before I take another chance on your rag again, if ever. Thanks for making what should have been quality time with family a huge embarrassment. I know this letter won't get published. But at least maybe if your editor does his job, it might spare someone else some embarrassment. He yeah, to his dad 
and his dad just didn't get it. His dad was all upset. His dad, <laughs> and he has every right to write me about this. But uh, you know, I just I emailed him. I was like, do you do you have any? Do you know what Instagram is? And it's like, no, of course not. So, no, you're not going to get it and think it's funny if you don't know what, <laughs> what Instagram is. But but I also took from that letter to the editor. It was like he was blaming you for exposing his father, who's 80-some years old, to sex. <laughs> I, I know. And he's, 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 he's like some veteran, you know, had fought in Nam or something like that. I'm like, and so the word ball sack, like, is going to put him over the edge? Like, <laughs> I, don't, I have no idea. I mean, he felt like it was just another example of society you know, head in the wrong direction. And, like, she isn't technically my girlfriend yet, but she follows me on the gram and likes most of my photos. I mean, lots of chicks follow me, but she's the hottest one. And we're totally going to hook up after I catch a monster fish that shows how dope I am. Hashtag made for each other. Hashtag power couple. Hashtag so much winning. Bottom line is that part of what makes some people upset is exactly what makes other people laugh. So it's really hard to not be risky with it at all. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, it's a growing business and that's great, but the more people that get exposed to it, especially in certain parts of the country that are a little more conservative, you got uh, some music going on there? Yeah, it sounds like the string band is, is warming up. Oh, uh, okay. We're just going to have that in our background. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps, maybe. Yeah. I'll probably yeah. just cut my end of the I'll audio. Be, and uh, No, I'll be... Um, um, be a nice touch. What else is uh, in the uh, magazine? Um, uh, well, we've got like tippets, a couple of really cool little essays. Um, one of them is uh, by a woman named Erin Block, and this isn't going to work, is it? What, the audio? I don't know. All I can hear is the music. Well, hey, uh, I actually got to run now. We're about to open doors, but um, any chance I could call you tomorrow morning and we could finish this up? Sorry for... <laughs> no, that's fine. Yeah, we could, we, could, we could do it tomorrow. This seems like a perfect place to take a break. When we come back, we'll hear about the rest of the magazine, talk to a contributor, and continue with our antics. Stick around. As always, the Drake Cast is sponsored by Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures. You can start by saying who you are. Uh, my name is Brian Gregson. And what do you do, and what do you do for Yellow Dog? Uh, I'm a professional photographer and videographer, and I am a director of photography for, for Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures. What do you like about working for Yellow Dog? I like working for Yellow Dog because it keeps me fishing and shooting photos, and I get to go travel the world, um, something I would not normally be able to do. Um, it's tough for photographers these days to get clients and have good clients and, and you know traveling is super tough and I really lucked out by working for a company that not only needs photos but values the photos and, um, and wants you to be in the field and continually shooting. Jim and Ian have done a great job of hiring professional guides. Um, knowledgeable guides have been in the industry for a long, long time and they're definitely a boots on the ground company meaning each region of the world has a sales director and they're in charge of visiting and doing visitations and seeing the programs and you know eating the food and visiting with the guides so they can speak first-hand knowledge. And a lot of first-hand knowledge might not necessarily be what to use and what to fish but hey I need to get Advil 
And, you know, where do I get a bottle of wine on the way down? And, you know, those are things that we need to know as well. Awesome. Thanks so much, Ryan. While there are plenty of ways to get there, there's only one way to do it right. Plan your next adventure with the pros at Yellow Dog. We're also sponsored by Scott Flyrods. And this week, instead of an endorsement, we're going to hear from Scott Pro Staffer and Guide Josh Lively how you can reduce your impact while targeting overpressured fish. Yeah, you know, sometimes in the wintertime when uh, we don't want to bust up the fish too much when that's their time to break, uh, we'll tie a Velcro fly. And if you find that olive drab, digi camo, um, military female side of the Velcro, the soft side, and you can slice it into strips, cut the hook off, but then palmer that around and it makes this beautiful green drake nymph. And uh, the teeth can kind of stick in that female side of the Velcro. And it's just another way of not impacting the fish, but still still getting the tug. And so how long will they tug for? Uh, oftentimes you can land them. So it's just a different way to pester the wildlife, you know? <laughs> Potentially with less impact. Totally, yeah. totally. It's all about, it's all about not messing with the fish too much. And so like, I think our goal as anglers today is uh, we're looking for fish that act like fish. And if we can protect our fish in a manner where they still feel free to act like a fish, our angling experience is always gonna be better. Scott Flyrods is committed to fly fishing and our natural resources. To check out one of these fine line chucking devices for yourself, visit your local fly shop or scottflyrod.com. Welcome back. One story we kind of glanced over was written by someone that you've heard from on this podcast yeah, you before. Know, you couldn't guide until you were 18. I actually sank a boat on my very first guide trip. <laughs> I've got a great idea. I know how we can go down in history. How's what? that? We borrow old man Seifert's rowboat and we shoot the chutes. Oh, you no. can't shoot the chutes, Paulie. You can try. You can die trying. They bury you with full honors. Tell them, Norm. Come on. I'm with you. Let's Come do on. It. What? Yeah. Pretty inauspicious start, Ed. This this really nice older couple, and I uh, yeah I, I I actually sank the boat, so that was maybe not the best way. I never told anyone about it, and and this is my first time ever probably publicly admitting that my very first guide trip resulted in my boat sitting on the bottom of the river. Steve Weisner is a school teacher and fly fishing guide in Wisconsin, but when he was younger, Steve spent a lot of time in Idaho and grew up thinking that the real fly fishing was west of the Mississippi, and that Wisconsin really wasn't worth anybody's time. He wrote a piece about this for the current issue of the magazine. And to talk about this piece, I decided to call him up. Hey, Elliot. Steve, how are you? I'm good, you? Not too bad. That's awesome. We just went out uh, pike fishing yesterday on the lower chip, and we slammed them. Oh, hell yeah. We got, uh, we put 20 fish in the boat at least, but only four of them were big, but the Big ones were pretty big, you know, big fat, you know, fish. But it was cool. It's fun to be back after it anyway. So can you tell me just a little bit about what that piece is about and like what inspired you to write it? Okay, yeah, that's about me going back to my my old sort of uh, stomping grounds where I, you know, where I really learned how to fly fish as a kid in Montana, and. You know, going back and bringing my son with me, it really, you know, I really wanted to kind of show him 
the places, you know, where I fished and where I grew up and having this realization in the middle of it all that, that, you know, that I, the fishing was better at home. And, you know, that was a real, I, I think for people from the Midwest, you know, the fishing is always supposed to be better out West. That's what we all grew up believing that, you know, that real fly fishing happened out West. And I think it was a real, uh, interesting thing, at least for me to, to, to realize that, you know, I wanted to go home <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was missing, uh, fishing smallmouth and, and muskies and, you know, that, and, and also just seeing how crowded it was on, you know, we were fishing on the Madison and, you know, the, just the fact that we literally had to wait, you know, 40 minutes to put our boat in the water. And, and that just didn't, that just is real different than what I'm used to, you know, here at home, where if we see another boat, you know, we, we go somewhere else. Nice, man. What do you got in store for this spring, summer, and fall? I mean, the pike are going right now, and then, you know, we'll be kind of pike fishing until somewhere around the 1st of May. And then the, the smallmouth will wake up, and then it'll be small smallmouth. And then at the end of May, uh, muskies, you know, start up. And then and then it's kind of game on for the summer um, all the way through, you know, just, just fishing. And then, in the you know, in the fall, it sort of switched our focus to totally muskies. Um, but it's kind of a long season here. You know, it started, we've started right now, and it goes all the way through mid-november so you know it's a lot of a lot of fishing between now and then and what what are you most excited for oh you know i mean you know the month of june is really the month that i love the best because june just has it all you know i mean june you got the long evenings it just all the fish are kind of going you know so it just it, to me that's kind of the 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 month or to the most to find out more about why Steve loves Wisconsin, make sure to check out his website, eauclairanglers.com. Even better yet, grab a copy of the latest issue of the mag. Another story in this issue is something I wrote about a little creek in Arkansas that boasts some of the highest trout populations in the world. But there's a catch. This fishery, if you have a kid, right, you have a kid that's under 16 that loves to fly fish, you don't take them to Dry Run Creek in Arkansas, um, you should be lose your parenting rights, okay? But this is a 27-inch cutthroat, and it wasn't the big one. We caught the short one. The big one was next to it. That was a state record fish. And it's a little sight fishing creek. that You can take a first-time 10-year-old in there and have a hoot catching smaller fish. You can take a 15-year-old in there and do something, you know, who's got some experience. We went, I went down there with my dad today, and we just watched the Oh, fish. walk around. Oh, but seriously, there's a ton of fish in Dry Run Creek. Don't put your parental rights on the line. Check out more of the story within the pages of the Drake. Okay, enough about me. Back to my chat with Tom. Tom? Hey. Hey, you're there. How are you? Just driving to the next exit. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Let's finish this uh, podcast thing so I can get back on cool. the road. Cool, yeah, let's hop on in. Um, I think we were basically on features and then anything else you'd like to include. Oh yeah, we hadn't really talked about features. Um, so of the features, the first one Jeff Mueller wrote, and it's a portrait of photographer Darcy Baca, had a lot of success in the snow sports world. He is um, a 
on the masthead as a contributing photographer for Powder Magazine, Ski Magazine, um, and uh, uh, Trans World Snowboarder. Um, kind of made his name there, which is part of why he lived just outside of Mount Hood, a little town there. But that also put him in close proximity to the Sandy River, and that's where he um, did a lot of steelheading and also shooting snowboarders, especially Eric Jackson, um, who is also a big uh, steelheader. So it's a, it's an interesting profile, really, really cool photography, and that's uh, – that's one of the features in there. It's not just a photo essay, though. It's definitely a story on... And may I add, with the magazine right in front of me, just the photos alone are freaking fantastic. Yeah, super cool, right? I mean, he's uh, he's really good. I believe that. It's just a different take, you know? Um, what else? Don Thomas is a writer who's been around a long time. He spent a lot of years up in Alaska, and he wrote a... Uh, cool little piece just about um, him and his wife and a friend fishing in, in Southeast Alaska for steelhead in the spring. And it, it's, uh, it's been known for, you know, for forever that there were steelhead in Southeast Alaska, but the creeks are so small. And a lot of times the runs are so small. And in some of the creeks you end up fishing there have 40 or 50 fish that come back. Um, but it's a really cool trip. But this is just about, somebody going out and doing it on their own. And uh, there's hundreds of them up there. You kind of have to know what you're doing and you got to time your access by the tides and all that kind of stuff. But beautiful, big, bright, strong steelhead. And, and um, Don Thomas is a great writer. He sometimes goes by E. Donald Thomas. That's kind of what he's written a couple books under that, kind of that name. But he's uh, that's, that's one of the other pieces in there. Good photography and a Southeast Alaska story. Um, I have a... Uh, piece in there in the Bolivia trip I did with John Sherman, and I kind of struggled with this story at first because so many fishing stories on the Bolivian Dorado had been done, but it's hard just to put, you know, pictures of everybody holding up those really cool-looking fish and try to put into words what makes it different. I mean, you're in the middle of that Amazon, you know? Um, but, like, I tried to do it a lot of my stories. This is um, a lot of research on the on that country, on the people that are there, on the kind of crazy animals that live in the Amazon. Some of the stuff other than just that, those fish. I mean, there's no doubting that they are one of the, if not the uh, coolest, strongest freshwater fish you can chase. Um, but even the story about why they're there is really, really weird because most people that fish for them and have fished for them is on the other side of the east side of the Andes, obviously flows in the north part of that continent out into the uh, Atlantic um, through Brazil. On the bottom, that co comes out through Argentina, and almost all the Dorado are down there. But this one little population of them are in a tiny little fraction of uh, the Amazon side of things. And that in itself is really interesting. But they're up there chasing bait fish, and it's a really, really really cool um, trip and awesome fish to go after in these tiny little rivers. So that's what I wrote about. And then we have a, a really cool rod holders piece on a, on a guy named Pete Sabro. I think I pronounced his name right, but he was very, very much on the forefront of salmon and 
preservation in the Pacific Northwest. Um, really interesting guy. He was a uh, former Navy officer who served in the White House um, under both Republican and uh, mostly Republican administrations, I think, but then founded the Wild Salmon Center in Portland and was also the founder of the Kamchatka Steelhead Project, which we ran a story on a few issues back. This the story on Pete is um, covers some of that ground that wasn't covered in that story, and there's also just a portrait of of him and all and the, the huge impact that he's had on on salmon and especially steelhead uh, conservation in the in the West. I think that's most of what we talked about. There is a couple of interesting tippet pieces in there. One from Jason Rolf, I think I'm pronouncing his name right. He's he does the fly tape stuff and was really behind the writers on the fly thing. You've talked to him before, I think. Really, really great piece from him on, on how to not catch more steelhead. Um, and then uh, a really cool piece from April Vokey, who I reached out to the first time that I've ever done this this way. And I, but I saw a post on her Instagram page about her fishing for – she was there for Giant Trevally, like so many people go to Giant Trevally fishing – in uh, the Seychelles, but she was really wanted to catch a, a Indo-Pacific permit, which are really cool. They have a lot more yellow than um, ones in the Caribbean have. But she was pregnant <laughs> the whole the whole time, and uh, I mean, I got tired walking around there. So I couldn't imagine uh, how much extra work that would be. And she did a really really good job uh, describing the experience. Um, so that piece is in there. I don't know if I mentioned it earlier or not but there is a i have another piece in there on fishing with cats or for uh for cats did i mention that before no we were just getting into it yeah tell me about it oh uh, uh well it's not i don't want to ruin it it's just a bear it's just you know i'm a been a pretty much lifelong dog guy and uh as a lot of fly fishermen are, you you have a zillion stories on dogs. And uh, this one is just a little bit different, and it's on cats. So that's uh, it's just something a little different that I think people would really, really people would really like to see and read about. And do you have a dog right now, Tom? Uh, I'm not allowed to answer that question, but um, my significant other has a cat, and I'm really too cool for cats. You know, I don't I don't really pay that much attention to it but when nobody's looking at times i've been known to give it some cuddles and that sort of thing so so would would some people claim that this kind of marks your open acknowledgement of being a bit of a cat person i mean i don't know if i'd say cat person um but yeah i'd say that it's fair to acknowledge that i was never a cat person Maybe in part because I always had a 90-pound yellow lab with me, <laughs> and 90-pound yellow labs and cats don't really get along so well. But that cats are—you uh, just can't take them fishing with you, or at least I don't. I think some people probably probably do or could, but I think they're just cats themselves are sometimes a lot cooler than dog owners want to give credit for. And when I say that. Maybe part of it comes from everybody has a 
the image of some bitchy cat sitting in a corner that'll never talk to you and just be all like, <laughs> and there's definitely those. But when you go to a place like the Amazon and you see like Jaguar <laughs> tracks and see what those things can do as far as hopping from a bank and grabbing a crocodile by the neck and dragging it up a bank, you're like, huh, give you a little different appreciation for cats, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I won't, I won't I won't press you on that issue. Um I know this is a sensitive topic, but uh thanks for sharing as much as you're willing to share. Uh, are we covered what we need to cover here? Yeah. I think we have. Uh as always, thanks for taking the time. I wish you the best of luck on your final 5 hours of the journey. That's all I need for this. I think we're set. Yeah, between what we had before before the Lately started or banjo or whatever that was. And that's I think it should be good. All right, Allie. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, I'll let you go. Thanks so much for the call, Tom. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. And finally, I have one more article in the magazine, and it's about fishing in Dublin, Ireland, like right in the city. You can read about it in the magazine, or you can listen to this audio version of the story. But you should also read about it within the Drake magazine, which you should go buy. This past summer, I found myself in Dublin, Ireland for a cousin's wedding. And when a distant family member heard I was into fishing, he suggested I check out the River Daughter. And as soon as he said the name of the river, I knew I had to fish it. In high school, my group of friends and I invested in a plastic bong that we named after the Tolkien character with whom the hobbits gallivant in The Fellowship of the Ring. Come, dear folk, laugh and be merry. I am Goldberry, daughter of the river. You are still afraid, perhaps, of mist and tree shadows. Fear nothing, for tonight you are under the roof of Tom Bombadil. The River Daughter. And her home was a styrofoam cooler buried next to a pine tree. We danced with her in the woods on weekends when there wasn't a parent-free house to spoil. And though the spelling of the character and the river doesn't quite match up, I knew I couldn't miss an opportunity to revisit an adolescent kitsch. Test, test, one, two, three, in Ireland at the Rathfarnham Shopping Center outside of Tesco, waiting to meet Glenn on the River Daughter. How are you? Not bad in yourself. Great to meet you. Same with yourself. Same with yourself. It was outside of this Tesco, next to a glass recycling plant, that I met the River Daughter's main ghillie, Mr. Glenn McCrave. Ah, come on, you feckers. What are you feeding them? McCrave grew up on the river and takes visiting anglers out on the 14 miles of water owned by the Daughter Anglers Fishing Club. I had a free afternoon before the wedding, and McCrave said he could probably duck out of a funeral for an hour or two to show me his river. Cool, what's going on today? Hey, sorry We're to hear about fishing. the funeral. Ah, it's all good, it's all good. It was just a friend's dad, so just one of those ones that you have to be at. And I told him here, uh, this organized, he's like, Grant, go with I know, I know the work you do, so he was like, happy days. <laughs> Good. It's good to have friends who understand. Exactly, exactly. Awesome. Um, I realized I forgot my rod back home. You're all good. I have a spare with me. I figured you would <laughs> have something. What are you thinking? Should we wait her up? Should we just walk along the side? What do you want to do? Waiters. Cool. Waiters it is. Do you have waiters with you? Or? Yeah, yeah, I've got Happy them. days, happy days. As we set up, a rusty Nissan pulled into the parking lot and headed for the vacant spot where I had set McCrave's three-weight. 
I leapt in front of the approaching car to prevent the destruction of a borrowed rod. The surprised driver waved an apology and confusion, and unfortunately took the abrupt interaction as an invitation to chat. Oh, uh, I see the boot of your car open, I didn't see the lines of the rod sticking out. I wasn't, I wasn't thinking of anything like that, I just said, people would have, I didn't see you, what you were doing. No, no, no my rod was sticking oh, right in your yeah, parking I did, spot. Yeah, that's okay. Thanks for yeah. stopping. And You're very welcome. It's very quiet and pleasant now at this time of the year. Yeah. Excellent. A little yeah. escape from the city? Well, I have stents in the arteries and the legs, so I'm advised to walk every day. And do you do it? I do. And you used to be a fisherman? Not a fisherman, it was a hobby. And what yeah. were you fishing for? Well, it, uh, trout mainly for river fishing and sometimes pike in and in the sea mackerel codling pollock sea bream stuff like that we'd, lo- we'd use um worms that you dig in sand or silt when the tides out and you'd put one on the hook and, that's the and it worked well you walk to times yeah at times you'd have to have patience <laughs> Which I had that time. Oh, Enjoy you get, your walk. Do you know the riverbank? Oh, I know it very well. Nice pools in it. Oh, there for, is. For trout fishing. Yeah. Yeah. Either side. Can be a bit difficult to get in at them sometimes. This this time of the year when the growth is still heavy. But you manage. You know. well, yeah. And I hope you get something. Alrighty, have a great walk. We're gonna go catch some fish. How long are you are you living here in Ireland? No, now? I'm just here. I was here for a wedding. What part of the states may I ask? Uh, Colorado. Oh, Colorado. Mountains get snow on them in the winter. I haven't heard um, if there are trout being caught. Oh, plenty, plenty. Well, enjoy your walk anyway. Oh, we'll get fishing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see you. Yeah, go, yeah, cheerio. You just have to walk away from an old folks like that. <laughs> the old timer's second-hand legs kept him from following after us as we made our way to the river. We stopped at a bridge to inspect what the daughter had to offer. A few bottles of cheap liquor lined the stream bottom, and plastic bags clung to submerged branches. Where are we? We are in Rathfarnham now, just about to approach on a pool on the daughter. It's an excellent little pool. If the fish are taking, there are plenty of fish here, and we won't want to leave this spot. But there is a very, very good chance of a big fish here, and uh, we'll start our day off here. And what did we just see in the water down We just there? saw a cracking rise, and I reckon it would be a fish probably of about maybe 10 or in between 10 and 12 inches. Or, sorry, yes. We had to correct the centimeters, but no, in between 10 and 12 inches, so let's go. And what? There's a big boy moving. Now, look into the pool there, right? See right in the center of the pool, just below the run, the fish rising, but there is a fish there that I would possibly put uh, about 15 inches. And what are we throwing? We are throwing a cling camera, which with suspended underneath, a nice little nymph. I don't know what, what we would put the pattern on it. <laughs> it's like a zebra midge of some sort. As, as such, yes. And what do you call this setup? Clink and dink, otherwise, otherwise known as dry dropper. I'll know from this pool straight away though, if um, the flies is going to work for the rest of the day or if we do have to switch. There is a lot of fish that sit in this pool. Once you present the right pattern, you will get plenty of fish. Out of this pill, my biggest fish is four and a half pound. Oh, wow. And this pool proved to be productive. Yep. 
First fish landed, a very, very small brown trout, well below the average size. I reckon he's only measuring in at about four and a half, five inches. He took as just as I was about to lift to recast. But lovely colouring, fantastic finish on him. Are these wild? They are wild brown trout. Are, is it stocked in here at all? It is stocked, but the stocked fish are more than likely gone from the river. Our club has over 900 members and for the first three, four weeks of the season, it does get fished very hard. A majority of the stocked fish that get put in do get taken home for the dinner table. So each year, because of the numbers of members, it's a, more or less a thank you from the club. We stock the river with about maybe between seven and 900 fish and a lot of them do get taken straight away. And what size are they stocked at? They are stocked between a pound and two pound. Okay. Now don't get me wrong, there are still stock fish in it, but they are triploid as well, so they don't breed in the river. So they are just literally there for, for catching. Then it was my turn to give the river a go. Now just back, you can see the main flow there. Just right in the center of that main flow, there is a big boulder sitting there and they do just like to pop out from around the boulder. Unfortunately, the fish seem to be slightly lethargic today, but we will find them. We will get them moving. Yep. Got any Possibly a small snag. Unfortunately not. <laughs> Uh, no problem, we've got plenty of good areas to fish right the way up. Unfortunately, we've hit a small little snag. And unfortunately, we've had to wade in to retrieve the flies. But we will move on. Classic. As I re-rigged, McCrave hooked into a worthwhile fish. Okay, what do we got going on here? Now, a lovely fish on the line. Just playing him in. He is a good fish that will need to be netted. He's taking a run downstream at present. He's trying to find a place to hide. So just battling against that. He's a lovely wild fish as well. Oh, come away from the tree. You might have been able to hear the splash just there. He's getting ready to come in. The important part now though is the netting of the fish. And we have him. Oh, he's a cracker. A beautiful, beautiful fish. And that is center of the city gold. And what length we got here? I would say on average, well, we're close to hitting 15 inches there. Give or take. And there. Let's see the fry in the net. So these are small little brown trout. About an inch and a half in length. You so, just scooped your net in there and picked up a mess of them. Exactly. So they've got a bit of growing to go yet. All the fish in the net proved the health of the river. Jet lag from my flight the previous day kept me on the bank for most of the outing, but McCrave continued to land fish as he told me about the daughter. From where we are standing right now in the middle of the river, I grew up a two minute drive from here. So I was able to walk to the river and fish my heart's content as a young lad growing up. And when did you start fishing this river? What age? 
I started fishing this river with my father, I'd say about the age of five. And to have been allowed to come out and come down fishing on my own, I would have been probably about 10 or 11. And what's your role here on this river? Within the organization and the committee, I am a bailiff on the river. So I'm a protector of the waters and I am on the committee also. I am also the main guide for the river. I like to come and fish this river because the, one, the amount of fish in it. Two, I don't have to travel outside the middle of the capital city to go and fish and have very decent fishing. A lot better fishing that you would, than you would get on some rivers right the way around the country. Um, ample amount of fish, perfect trout water. What's a ghillie cost for the day? For a full day, it is 75 euro, uh, which is a very competitive price. And for a half day, it is 50 euro. Now those charges as well do include rod rental and uh, waders if you aren't able to travel with them. There might be a little leak in the right foot on one, but <laughs> I don't think we can argue though. <laughs> to take people out, so American tourists that are reading the magazine, there's no problem with contacting me on Facebook, either Glenn McCrave or on the Daughter Angler's Facebook page. After an hour on the water, I had to get back to the wedding party and Glenn had to retrieve his wife and two kids from the funeral. Our prior engagements reminded me of a joke my overly chatty cabbie had shared on the ride over to the river. Which went, what's the difference between an Irish wedding and an Irish funeral? The answer, one less drunk. We both found the joke tasteless, but laughed anyways. He half accepted a parting hug, and we plan to meet in the same spot the next time I find myself on the Emerald Isle. To find all of the stories covered in this episode, I highly encourage you to pick up the latest issue of The Drake, Spring 2018. The cover is a drone shot of this monster redfish on its way to David Mangum's skiff. You can find The Drake at your local fly shop or drakemag.com. I'm still not sure what the next episode will be, but from here on out, we're going to try to get a bit closer to the weekly releases that we promised. Being on the road with the Fly Fishing Film Tour has been great so far. But I definitely haven't stayed on top of things, and it's time to get back in the saddle. Keep your ears peeled. Thanks for listening. This has been the Drake Cast. <laughs>